0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Avatar, the podcast. I always get like, I feel good when I say that. I don't know why. I just feel like the pause everyone and all. Everyone knows, Greg. It just comes together. I like, I like to milk it a little bit. That's all. That's all. Uh, <laughs> I'm Booster Greg, as you all know. And as always, from now until, I guess, the disbanding of Avatar Studios, <laughs> I'm joined by Acorn Bandit.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: Today, we're going to talk about book two, episode 19, The Guru, or as we like to call it,
1: Aang's Spirit Retreat.
0: Yes. And we are down to the last couple episodes.
1: This is part one of the finale. Oh my God. We are almost there.
0: The book two finale. This is absolutely nuts. I know when we hit the book one finale, we're like, how did we get here? I feel like we just yeah. started. And like, I still kind of feel that way. It's, it's I do like, too. It's crazy. Like. We started this podcast, what, not even a year ago?
1: I want to say it was like June of 2020.
0: So it's been May or June. So it's been less than a year and we're already through book two, which means we're just flying through all of these wonderful episodes and tales and morals that we've just been digesting, dissecting, and really just... I can't think of another D word. Sorry, everyone. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. I could think of another D word, but I'm not going to say that one. This is a family friendly adjacent podcast. Diligent. Oh, that's a good one. Diligent. We've been diligently dissecting and digesting all of this content.
1: (laughs) It's going to be really fun to do the recap episode for this book because so much happened. I want to like take it all in in one binge and then discuss it. Yeah. can't wait.
0: I can't wait. And there's so much. There's so many extras on the Blu-rays that I missed in the beginning.
1: I know. Yes. So
0: I'm really excited to go into those and watch those and be able to talk about them during the recap as well. There's there's apparently on um, the book two extras some interview or something with M Night Shyamalan. So
1: Oh, that's gonna be gold.
0: Just when you thought we were <laughs> done talking about the last airbender, we're gonna oh, talk about no. it a little bit more. I'm not watching that again. I'm sorry, everyone. I can't no. I can't I can't do it.
1: I've watched it a total of two times yeah. in my life. Yeah, and that that is enough.
0: I've watched it one and a half times in my life, and that's enough. Yep. Before we get into this episode, I do wanna take a moment and thank everyone who has been emailing in at avatarthepodcast.gmail.com, leaving five-star reviews on the Apple Podcasts platform, as well as everyone who has found us through the many different channels that you can, including the Geek Generation Discord. We even got a a comment on one of the Geek Generation posts on thegeekgeneration.com. Which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And people who have been finding us through Twitch and Twitter and all of that wonderful stuff.
1: Yes. We're so happy you found us. And as we mentioned a couple episodes ago, we are recording these episodes ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of book two was recorded in advance because of Greg's new addition to the family. Yes, And so uh, just thank you again for your patience as we work through not only this book, but also all the other stuff going on in our lives. We are very much dedicated to starting book three strong. So we're going to be taking a break after the next episode to do all of that. But in the meantime, thank you again for your support and for letting us know how much you enjoy the podcast.
0: Mm -hmm. And speaking of support, I do want to take a quick moment to thank... Those who did go to Patreon.com/slash Avatar the podcast and decided to support us in a way that wasn't yelling at their friends to listen to us all the time, which we super appreciate. By the way, the louder the better. Uh, if I can hear it, <laughs> yeah. if I can hear it from states away or from countries away, even even better. But I <laughs> I, I do want to just thank the following people for not only writing into us but also becoming our first handful of patrons. So we have. Jackson, Kennetha, Jacob, Dominique, and Benji. And Benji's written in to us a bunch of (gasps) times. Benji! I remember Benji. Yes, I I believe Benji was our first one as well. So, special thanks for that. But yes, uh, if you don't have the means or are unable to become a patron, no big deal. Just listening to us ramble on is more (laughs) than enough. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you, everyone. All right. without any further ado, I know I say that a lot, but Without any further hesitation, uh, distraction, any procrastination, pause. <laughs> pause, any of that.
1: Why are we into synonyms today?
0: I, th- that's the theme of today the synonyms. <laughs> the syn- that's as the- it is now. It's <laughs> welcome to Book Two, Episode 19, The Guru, or as we like to call it, Greg and Acorn, synonyms. Synonym Toast Crunch. You're- you're
1: oh, oh, that was good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we begin our episode not with Team Avatar but with Iroh and Zuko for a change, settling into their new high-rise apartment. Zuko has seemingly recovered from his inner conflict and asks what uncle is making on the stove. It's Juke, Iroh replies, and notes that the prince probably wouldn't like it. Zuko smells the creamy broth and notes that it actually smells delicious and he lovable. Iroh kind of looks at him a little suspiciously and then notes that Zuko seems different ever since his fever went away. And Zuko responds with an optimistic outlook on life. They have a new apartment, new furniture, and Iroh's new tea shop opens today. Things are looking up, Uncle, Zuko says as he takes a sip of his juke. Aww. Mm, and for those of you who don't know, juke is like a like a rice porridge.
1: Yeah, yeah, I had a note about that okay. because I've heard of it before. Yeah, uh, Bajouk is a real-world dish often served for breakfast in Asian countries, and it's prepared by boiling rice in a vast amount of water until the rice is broken down into a starchy paste, the consistency of which depends on personal preference and regional differences in culture and ingredients. So oftentimes it can be garnished with salted eggs, lettuce, bamboo shoots, And uh, different seasonings like white pepper and soy sauce that are added for flavor. In the world of Avatar, Juke has been adapted to the Earth Kingdom. It is a traditional rice porridge, just like its real world counterpart, that's typically eaten for breakfast and can have meat and vegetables added to it and can be made into any meal.
0: Mm. I'm hungry again. I'm always (laughs) hungry. I'm always hungry, though. That's no difference. So, yeah, so that tasty treat looks great.
1: It looks like glue. But I'm sure it tastes much better.
0: I feel like whenever I see something that looks like glue, I feel like it tastes better than glue. I don't know why. No, I didn't eat glue as a kid. Thank you for asking.
1: Is it safe to say it's because usually the thing you're looking at is food, Greg?
0: Yeah, I'm always looking at food. And
1: food tastes better than glue?
0: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. Okay, so we fly over to Angansaka and as Appa lands right next to Hakoda's campsite. Aang comments on how excited Sokka must be to see his father again, but Sokka is so nervous he's almost making himself sick. Aang tells his friend not to be nervous and assures the young warrior that Hokoda will be happy to see his son again. Sokka changes the topic and asks if Aang is nervous to meet the guru at the Eastern Air Temple, but Aang is ready to master the Avatar state and tells Sokka that he will do whatever it takes. As Sokka slides off of Appa, the two friends say their goodbyes for a week.
1: Does that smell like foreshadowing to you?
0: Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. When he was like, I'll do anything. I was like,
1: will you, pal? Will, will you? Mm. We'll see about that.
0: That's true. He'll do anything for the Avatar State, but he won't do that.
1: He won't do that one thing, though.
0: Mm-hmm. That was a meatloaf. He missed my meatloaf reference. I'm sure like. Oh, no. Did I? Because <laughs> I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. He'll do anything for the Avatar State, but he won't do that. Oh. Which is for love. So Yeah. Yeah. Sokka walks into the Water Tribe camp and feels uneasy as the other warriors just kind of stare at him and smile. Sokka doesn't really feel welcomed until a warrior walks up to him and offers him what I perceive to be a secret handshake, which I was super happy about. Oh, yeah? And the other warriors join in and greet Sokka warmly. Yeah, the warrior walks up to him and is just like, stares him down and they do this like really cool handshake.
1: Oh, where they grip each other's forearms? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the secret Water Tribe handshake. That's the
0: Water Tribe handshake. It's so cool.
1: Oh, all you patrons who signed up for the Water Tribe, we expect you to greet each other with this handshake. So yes. take note.
0: Mm-hmm. Please. If you don't, I'm I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I'll I'll cry a single tear and you'll know. The Warriors note how much Sokka has grown since they last saw him, and it's warm cheers all around. Sokka makes his way over to the main tent where his father and Bato are looking at a map. Bato nudges his best friend and Hakoda looks up to see his son. He gets up and gives Saka a big hug, and Saka is happy.
1: Oh, this made me tear up. <laughs> this was so nice.
0: It was so nice, but it's kind of funny that, like, Hakoda is just, like, so, like, enthralled with his map that, like, someone enters this dark tent and, like, light comes in and he's not even... He can't be bothered to look up. He's just so focused.
1: The war is serious business, Greg.
0: Well, it's also, like... I think it says a lot about Hakoda and like the, the dynamic between him and Bato, which we kind of got a taste of with Bato's stories and like how Bato was kind of comparing Sokka to his father. And it felt very much like a almost like a Katara and Saka kind of thing. Like I can see like Sokka like oh like I love studying that. a map and like not being aware of his surroundings and being like kind of goofy in that way. And like something yeah. happens and Katara's is like, Knucklehead, look up. <laughs>
1: I love that! Oh my god, I totally subscribe to that sibling relationship.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Quick note: Hakoda is voiced by Andre Soglio. I can never say his last name. I'm sorry. It's the same voice as Boomy. Same voice actor oh, as Boomy. Oh, cool. Bumi. Yeah, Andre uh, Soglio's Sogliuso Sogli
1: Sogliuso
0: Sogliuso. Back at Basing, say the Earth King is excited to have the Kyoshi Warriors in the city to help protect them. Bosco yawns, and the Earth King goes on to note how difficult this week has been with the betrayal of Long Fang and the attempted coup. Azula, for those of you who forgot, is in disguise as a Kyoshi warrior, notes that it's terrible when you can't trust those closest to you, as Mei and Tylee exchange kind of awkward glances. Foreshadowing, maybe? Who's to say? (laughs) Who knows? Well,
1: who knows? We'll see. We'll
0: see. I'm sure they'll be all friends till the end. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Then, like an idiot, the Earth King tells Azula of the plan to invade the Fire Nation on the solar eclipse because firebenders won't have any of their firebending abilities. Yeah. What a dumb. dumb.
1: Um, Yeah. That's
0: a note <laughs> I made, and I want to make sure that I, I said that out loud. What a dumb dumb.
1: Yeah. At the same time, I think the Earth King in a lot of ways is... Very naive. Yeah. While he's the ruler of a great city, he has been a figurehead for so long, puppeted by Long Feng, that I think he's just very much trusting with who's around him. He doesn't expect anyone to be out to get him or to be nefarious.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's very trusting, very naive, which isn't great. Like so is Ang, but like Ang keeps his wits about him, whereas the Earth King is just kind of like. Oh, it was one person betrayed me. No one else could possibly betray me in the history of my life from now and forever. I'm not not like I'm in a role where people would want to exploit me for their own personal gain.
1: So anyway, in today's war meeting, (laughs) we discussed our next plan of action over the next couple of months. Isn't that great? Doesn't that sound like a good plan to you?
0: But don't tell the Fire Nation.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, oh, man. The thing about this scene. I love the design of the throne room. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So behind the, the throne, there's this giant badger mole statue that was crafted to look like a giant badger mole lurking behind the throne like a guardian. You can see yeah. its claws like curled over the top of the throne. That plus the huge room, the ornate decorations, the gauzy green drapes. It's just like so visually powerful. And I love that they took a moment to let us take in the whole scene of the throne room and how little they are in front of the throne.
0: Yeah. Whenever we're in that room, I'm always like impressed with just the size of it. And like, even though it's such a large room that the the details are still there and, and you could see like where the artisan ship would be.
1: Yeah, it's very opulent. You can tell that definitely some very talented craftsmen built this room and crafted the throne.
0: Which is like a very stark contrast to the Outer Ring, which we talked about in the first episode that we were in Basingse, which is just like huts on huts, essentially.
1: (laughs) Yeah, very ramshackle. Yeah.
0: We join Katara as General Howe goes over the invasion plan on the day of Black Sun. As he moves the pieces on the map, Momo jumps in and starts knocking them over. Katara jokes about how they could alternatively send in Momo, but nobody else seems to find that thought amusing. All we need is the Earth King's seal in order to execute the plan. How tells Katara, who tells the group that she will get these scrolls to the king right away, and leaves the chamber.
1: In this scene, General Howe talks about or mentions General Fung. And oh we yeah, know that guy. Yeah. We saw him back in uh, the Avatar State, and he was kind of a jerk. <laughs>
0: He's also kind of a dum-dum, too. Why is it people in power in the Earth Kingdom end up kind of being dum Um,
1: That's a great question. Maybe that's part of the job description.
0: Maybe. Are you a dum-dum? Yes. Okay. You're hired. <laughs> I like the cut of your jib. Are you? You're hired.
1: <laughs> yeah. Are you a dum-dum? Please check yes or no.
0: <laughs> and it's Longfang that puts out that questionnaire.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, another thing about this scene too is I love that it's a small reminder that Team Avatar are kids because while Katara is very mature for her age, she's in a war meeting and she like makes a joke about a rampaging lemur and all the adults in the room are like, uh
0: They're like, This is serious.
1: <laughs> this is serious business, child.
0: It's it's also like it shows, right, how I guess the difference in mentality between the adults and the children in this world and how like in stride almost the kids have been taking all of this Mm -hmm. like this is their life so they don't know any difference so they find humor in any possible way just to kind of like help them go from one moment to the next and the adults are just like they don't understand that they perceive it as just like playing around as like almost child's play if you will and they're like this isn't funny this is a large war that we're trying to end right now and Katara's like she, she's not trying to like underplay that, that's just like a defense mechanism essentially. Also, I bet you she in that moment knew what her brother felt like whenever he said a joke that didn't fly over.
1: <laughs> I bet, <laughs> yes.
0: Katara's like, yep, okay, I can, I can get what we need. She leaves the chamber. In the next scene, uh, we see Aang finally reaching the Eastern Earth Temple and can see Guru Patik meditating from the air. He lands right near the guru and Patik introduces himself as the spiritual brother of the air nomads and a personal friend of Monk Gyatso which makes him super old.
1: Uh yes, super old. Jeez. In fact, Patik is a supercentarian or someone who is significantly older than 100 years of age, typically one who has reached the age of 110.
0: Wow. Like I I knew he was old, but when he was like, yeah, me and Monk Gyatso, we're old pals, we're old chums. I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Doesn't that sound like a superhero name, Super
0: It sounds like it does. It, it, it actually makes you think it's like a super centaur for some
1: reason. Yeah. Oh wait, no, it's Super Centenarian. Okay. That's even that's even better. Yes. Super Centenarian.
0: You need like an echo to your voice and some or some reverb. And yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Guru tells the Avatar that in order to control the Avatar state, he must gain balance within himself. And the first step begins with downing some delicious, nutritious onion and banana juice. Or as Patik says, yum, yum. He like drinks a bowl. He's like, yum, yum. And he hangs like,
1: I would not want to try Mm -mm. onion banana juice. Mm -mm. Interesting fact, though, I learned that onion banana juice was based on something that a friend of Brian Kanetsko's was eating at a yoga retreat.
0: I can't believe someone actually ate that in real life. Yep. <laughs> That's gross. I'm so sorry. If you enjoy that, I'm sorry. That sounds disgusting.
1: I actually, has anyone tried onion banana juice? Have any fans out there decided, you know what? This sounds worth trying and then tried it. If so, please let us know what your experience was like.
0: Yes. Is it gross or yum yum? <laughs> Somewhere in the Earth Kingdom, Master Yu and Chin Fu are on their way to bring an imprisoned toff back to Beifong Manor. The two argue about which way to go at a fork in the road, and Toph yells that she needs to go to the bathroom. Master Yu almost lets her out, but Shin Fu stops him and points out the blatant ruse. Master Yu realizes the attempted deceit and laughs it off, saying that he can't be tricked. Toph bangs on her metal prison, and Shin Fu tells her to settle down. You might be the greatest earthbender of the world, but even you can't bend metal, he says as Toph puts her hand to the metal wall and concentrates.
1: I thought it was like less concentration and more like understanding what he was saying. Like, oh, yeah, this is all metal. I've never like thought about that. I don't think she starts like concentrating until she thinks about it for a while.
0: I thought she was just like, I read it as like her defiant nature being like, you can't tell me what to do. Interesting. You can't tell me what I can and can't bend.
1: I read it as more of like a thoughtful gesture. Like, huh, metal. Yeah. You say.
0: Yeah. Maybe either way. She's in her metal cage, and mm-hmm. she's not getting out anytime soon, or is she? <laughs> Back in Bossing, ba say Azula goes over her plan to conquer the city with Lee and Mei as they wash the Kyoshi makeup off of their faces. She notes that for one hundred years the Fire Nation could not penetrate the walls of the Great City, but now that they've infiltrated the city, it can be taken down from the inside. They are in a perfect position to organize a coup and overthrow the Earth King, and the key is the Tylee. Whoever controls the Dai Li controls the city, Azula says with a smirk.
1: Oh boy, Azula at it again.
0: I had this thought when I was rewatching this episode. I think not only is Grey Delisle Griffin's portrayal just brilliant, I think the casting director did a brilliant job by casting kids and teenagers who are close in that age range to their character and not necessarily doing it with Azula because it gives her that more mature... Kind of vocal range, which is creepy on oh, like wow. a younger person.
1: That is a great point. Yes. In my opinion. 100%.
0: Yeah. So it's, it just adds to that like unsettling. And especially since her two companions are like just a blatant teenager and a teenager yeah. who is like not quite hit that teenage mental state yet adds to that like gravitas almost. Wow. Yep. At a creek in the Eastern Air Temple, Guru Patik tells Aang that in order to master the avatar state, all of his chakras must be open. When he asks Aang what he knows about chakras, Aang is pretty much just like, what are those? And I think he even kind of mispronounces it a little bit. Like, <laughs> I think he's just like, what's his chakra or shot?" Like, like, it was, sounded kind of off to me. Yeah, A little bit disappointed with the response, Patik decides to start with the basics and uses the pools of water below as an example. He tells Aang that the water flows through the pools, much like the energy flows through his body. There are several pools of water where the water swirls before flowing in. These pools are like his chakras. If left undisturbed, the creek would flow pure and clear and and quite easily. But since life is messy, sometimes things tend to fall in the creek and he kind of like gets a piece of moss or something and and, uh, removes it to demonstrate that if you remove these obstacles, then the energy between the chakras can flow freely.
1: Yeah, so... This is such an interesting episode because it explores something that, again, is based in real life because the concept of chakras originated in ancient India mm-hmm. and actually forms a big part of many philosophical, spiritual, and religious systems. But also I was reading that many adult fans of the show said they really connected with this episode and took away a valuable spiritual lesson because a lot of this Even if you don't believe in energy, the concepts of our emotions having counterparts that block the way that we experience peace in our life is a super great takeaway and something that we can all apply. Mike and Brian also said that they learned a lot about chakras in their research for the script. And I think it really shows the way that they are presenting this information. Super digestible.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, and Ang catches on really quickly. As did I. As did I think everyone cuz I think where good writing succeeds is they take something as complex as like the flow of energy and chakras and all that and they just make it so literally children can understand it.
1: Mhm. Yeah, taking a really philosophical cool. concept or system and distilling it into its like core concepts in a way that you can easily take in.
0: Yeah, it's so cool. Patik then brings Ang to a cavern in the temple and tells him that there are seven chakras that go up the body, and each has a purpose and can be blocked by a specific kind of emotional muck. He warns the young avatar that this is an intense experience, and once the process begins, it cannot be stopped until all seven are open. Okay, Yoda, if you start your Force <laughs> training with me right now, you can't stop it or you'll never be a Jedi. That was my takeaway yep. from this. Oh, yeah. Ang tells the guru that he is ready to do whatever. It takes. Yeah, okay. Okay. Hang. We'll remember that a little bit later.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. Uh note about Patik. Hmm? That word means a traveler or guide in Sanskrit and can also refer to knowing the way or path. Hmm. Interesting. It very much embodies Patik's role in the story. Oh, for sure. And Patik was the name of a middle and high school friend of Brian Kanetsko's. Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
0: I, I like when like childhood friends or like former mentors or whatever, like get named in a series or a piece Mm -hmm. of work. Like it makes me happy. Yeah. They go on to unblock the first chakra, which is the earth chakra and is located at the base of the spine. This deals with survival and is blocked by fear. When Patik asks Aang what he fears the most, Aang can see images of the blue spirit attacking General Fong, sinking Katara into the ground uh, seeing himself merge with La at the North Pole. And finally, Fire Lord Ozai in Sozin's Comet. When Aang screams out, Patik assures him that the images are not real and cannot hurt him. When Aang surrenders to those spheres, he opens up his chakra and moves on to the next one.
1: Yeah, that scene in particular, when they when the shot first goes into the cave and it shows them sitting there, on this like platform, the music that's playing in the background, the like the mantra sounding like chants, I have always loved that. And I feel like it immediately brings you into this moment and gives you this like spiritual mystic type of sense. And so like, once again, there are like two main guys who did the sound on this show. And so tip of the hat to the sound production because they did such a good job
0: yeah and color grading it with that red tone too was a really nice touch on the visual end
1: yeah every chakra has its own color counterpart
0: yeah it was really cool not only did it reinforce just like the fire i don't know motif but also fear as well which is Mm -hmm. really cool the next chakra is the water chakra which deals with pleasure and is blocked by guilt When Aang reflects on his guilt, he sees an image of himself fleeing the night he was meant to leave monk Gyatso. Guru Patik tells Aang that he must accept the reality that these things happen and to not let them poison his energy. If he is to be a positive influence on the world, he needs to forgive himself. Upon hearing these words, Aang takes a deep breath and opens his water chakra. Enough of all the chakras for a minute, though, because we're going to rejoin Saka and the other water tribe warriors as Hakoda, Bato, and Saka prepare some tangle mines for use. Bato tells Saka that his father invented these tangle mines, and Saka comments on how terrible they smell. Hakoda tells his son that the mines are filled with skunkfish and seaweed, so when a ship detonates on it, the seaweed tangles up the propeller, and the terrible smell forces everyone to abandon ship. Hakoda likes to call it the stinking sink, which is hilarious and caused me as well as Sokka to burst out laughing. (laughs) And Bato notes that Sokka is definitely his father's son.
1: And Bato and Acorn to be like, oh, you're definitely his son. (laughs) the stinking sink. Oh my God.
0: It's so So good. good. It's (laughs) it's got the rhyming and the alliteration. It does. All it It needs is a pun and it's good to go. That's all it needs. (laughs)
1: Oh man, Tangle Mines. I didn't realize that is a real thing. Really? Yeah. Tangle Mines in the show utilize a combination of two activist anti whaler techniques. A group called the Sea Shepherds, a famous activist group, used ropes and chains to tangle the propellers of illegal whaling vessels in a technique known as prop fouling, in the same way that Hakoda used seaweed to disable the Fire Navy vessels. Uh, they also use something called butyric acid. I think I'm saying that right. Butyric acid to make the mm-hmm. deck of an illegal fishing vessel so awful smelling that the crew cannot stand to work there, much like how the skunkfish functions in the Tangle Mine in the show.
0: That's so cool. I, I was thinking, like, how like humane that kind of trap seems, mm-hmm. which is also like a-, a pretty big difference between the Water Tribe and the Fire Nation, where the Fire Nation is just like, Fire catapults and fire tanks and like all this destructive stuff. And the water tribe is using more peaceful or as peaceful Mm -hmm. as like war tactics can get.
1: Yeah, they're using um, using tactics that disable versus harm.
0: Yes, yes. Suddenly, another warrior approaches the group and tells them that the Fire Nation ships have been spotted. Hakoda gives the order for Bato to get the mines loaded up and for the rest of the men to prepare for battle. All of the men rush off to prepare, and Saka asks what he should be doing. Aren't you listening? Hakoda tells his son. I said, the rest of the men, get ready for battle. Saka smiles and rushes off to prepare as his father smiles proudly.
1: Oh, so wholesome. It
0: was such a good line. It was delivered really well, and it's written just beautifully where he's just like, what, what are you, deaf? Like I said, all the men. That includes you. You are a man. Go.
1: Yeah. Which basically, like, validated everything that Sokka has ever wanted validated. Right. He is a man. He is a warrior. He is part of the Water Tribe, and he is not going to be left behind again.
0: Yes. And it's not two plus two plus Sokka.
1: Yes. Yes. Real quick. Yeah. This scene here, I feel like I've never noticed this before, but Bato is standing there filling the mine with this, like, pouch of skunkfish, right? And you can actually see the leftover skin discoloration on his arm from yes. his injury. And if you remember, we first met Bato when he was healing from an injury in the monastery that he was staying at when we first met June and in her sheer shoe yes. and, and all of that mess. Like he was all bandaged up and this is the injury he was healing from.
0: I remember we we're talking about that too, where we couldn't really tell if it was an injury or if it was part mm-hmm. of like a training thing because katara does wrap up uh, her arms and legs when she's water waterbending and doing training yes. so this yeah. confirms that he was burned pretty badly fighting off the fire nation way back in that episode yep yeah i did see that yeah, yeah it was really it was kind of gives him like a really cool kind of like badass kind of feel to him too
1: <laughs> yeah i yeah. i personally really appreciate the the small continuity nod it yes. was It's like we see Bato for what, two episodes yep. so, far? so far? And yet his storyline is tied between all the episodes that came between.
0: And that's just another shining example of the care and not foresight. I mean, foresight as well, but like the attention to detail that Mike and Brian have in this mm-hmm. series. And that's what makes it feel more realistic and more grounded. Like yeah, all of the cultural nods and all of like, the puns and the funny stuff too, but like it's these small details that really cement in this series as, I think, just a classic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Back at Bossing ba Say, Iroh and Zuko watch as the Jasmine Dragon is full of happy customers drinking delicious tea. Zuko congratulates his uncle and tells him that he deserves all of the success and the Jasmine Dragon will be the best tea shop in the whole city. Iroh says that while he is happy with the shop, He is most thankful to be able to share this special day with his loving nephew, which means more to Iroh than Zuko knows. Mm -hmm. Like, what a wonderful sentiment of, yeah, this is all well and good, but what makes it the best is sharing it with you. Like, oh man. Yeah. Iroh.
1: So, like, the Jasmine Dragon is like, no joke. (laughs) If you look at the establishing shot of where the Jasmine Dragon is located, it is at the heart of the Upper Ring in this giant courtyard. The establishment itself is a huge building. And if you remember, this guy comes to Powell's tea shop and is like, hey, you, you want your own tea shop? And it led to this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he
1: has this like ginormous, beautiful, important location and building. And it's probably everything that Iro has ever wanted.
0: It makes me kind of nervous for Iroh because like when someone's like, hey, you want to do a thing and they give them like the best thing that you can possibly have, including like the best living quarters. It makes me wonder how much Iroh is making off of his own tea versus this businessman.
1: Oh, man. You know what? I absolutely believe that Iroh is not making as much as he no, should He's getting ripped and that off. the guy who recruited him and yep. gave him all of this is taking like a 60% cut or something ridiculous. That's
0: on the low end. I feel like Iroh is just like yeah. happy to serve tea and Minimum. this guy's like 90%
1: mine. Yes. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> but at the same time, like with Iroh, he gets to serve tea in a beautiful location and make yep. people happy and he gets everything the way that he wants. That's more than enough for him.
0: Yeah, and he's not one who wants riches or money or anything like that. Sure, he's used to the spoiled life, but he kind of got out of that, at least in this book.
1: Ira was focused on less material things, and I think that is what he'd be focusing on here.
0: Yes, for sure. We rejoin Aang as he learns about his fire chakra, which apparently would like to eat something other than onion banana soup, which is still disgusting. I can't believe (laughs) we were still talking about this. Patik chuckles and tells Aang that the fire chakra deals with willpower and is blocked by shame. This causes Aang to remember the first time he attempted to firebend, which burned Katara's hands. When Aang says that he will never firebend again, Patik reminds Aang that he is the avatar and therefore a firebender. And if he cuts himself off from this element, then he will never find balance. Aang breathes deeply again, and Patik notes that this chakra opened more like a burping bison. Aang lets out a huge burp and notes that his burp tastes like onions and bananas, but also something else. Pickles? Patik kind of shrugs. It's like, I oh.
1: <laughs> That comedic moment is so great. You think it's going to build to something, and then yeah. Patek is just like, mm.
0: <laughs> like Pickles oh my God. is supposed to have some more, like, meaningful interpretation or something. And Patek's like, that's the first I've heard of Pickles.
1: Yeah. A <laughs> couple things here, actually. So this explanation of this particular chakra reminds me of what Iroh told Zuko in Bitter Work. He said, pride is not the opposite of shame, but its source. True humility is the only antidote to shame. Mm. So it's interesting that Iroh already has this like emotion and counterpart to the emotion concept and some of the things that he's learned. It almost makes me wonder if he at one point journeyed to a place with someone like Patik and he learned about this concept. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. gained so much knowledge from other bending styles that he's incorporated into his own belief system and his own bending that I almost wonder if he came across someone like this and he learned that concept because it's very much like that explaining what actually what truly blocks an emotion that we experience.
0: Yeah. In my head, Canon, I'd like to think that he just kind of like figured it out by himself. Like if if you figure he got the training about the different elements from being a member of the White Lotus. Then the other side of the coin is the spiritual side, which kind of like flows, pun slightly intended, into one mm-hmm. another. So either way is great. Like if he met a guru along the way and got that kind of training, awesome. But like the way he was when he was younger, I don't think he would have been as open to that and as he is now or as he had been since he's been traveling with Zuko.
1: Yeah. So you think he could have easily pieced it together on his yeah. own based I, on all his life experiences?
0: I think so. Yeah. Because he's all he is very insightful as well. And, you know, he does offer a lot of knowledge, as we've seen in wisdom to Zuko. And sometimes when you're offering wisdom to someone else, you're discovering it for the first time yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. The other thing, too, is I really appreciate the way that they're telling this story through the locations and the descriptions of the chakras, because there's always like a moment as Patik is describing the chakra, what it embodies what it deals with, what is blocked by. And you have a moment where you're like, Okay, so it's blocked by shame. Hmm. What does Aang have to be shameful about? And then it shows the flashback to this mm-hmm. really emotional moment where he burns guitar it and you as a viewer are like, oh man. Yeah. Yep. that's a moment of shame. And so it just, I feel like it strengthens the story so much more because it's tapping into those really high emotion moments where Aang as the main character is experiencing these things. And so it's like, it builds up the believability of how going through this process is work. He has to acknowledge those things that he did and felt and then let them go.
0: Yeah, for sure. It almost feels like a clip show without being a clip show. It's kind of like a reminder of we are pretty much two-thirds of the way through Aang's adventure. Here's the lessons that he's learned. Here's everything that we want you to remember, as well as mm, things that you might yeah. not, like Bato's arm. Right. They do a very good job at kind of like giving all these hints to help us get into that same mindset that the writers want us to be in.
1: That's a great point. Yep. At the Earth King's
0: Palace, May and Tylee talk about how they are not real Kyoshi warriors and reveal the entire plan of overthrowing the king while the Dai Li spy on them secretly from the shadows. (laughs) When they mention that they plan on overthrowing the king, the Dai Li agent smiles and slips away into the palace. Azula then comes out of seemingly nowhere and praises the two girls on their convincing acting abilities. Now they just have to wait for the Dai Li agents to deliver the message to Long Feng.
1: What a brilliant plan.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't like, the acting was actually fairly believable as well. It wasn't just like, yeah. a, we are from the Fire Nation. We are not really <laughs> warriors from the island of Kiyoshi. This is uh, this is our big evil plan. Isn't that right, Tylee? That's right,
1: Meg. <laughs> I will defeat you earthbending style. <laughs> like that?
0: Yeah, yeah, just like that. Uh, <laughs> Agreed. It was so good, and it was like when when Azula comes out of the shadows and she's just like, excellent, like that Mr. Burns, like excellent Uh kind of like moment. I was like, oh, you're so evil. I know a lot of people really like Azula and I like her as a villain, but as of right now, I still don't see any redeemable Mm -hmm. qualities yet. Yes, yet.
1: yet. I will say it is incredibly impressive that Azula was able to surveil the Dylee agents without them noticing, like, whoa skills.
0: Yes. Or... She just has her two friends running those lines all day until they are overheard.
1: (laughs) Can you imagine?
0: Again, again.
1: Top of the hour, every hour.
0: (laughs) Terrible, absolutely terrible. No, I'm sure it's the former, but still the latter is really funny to think about. Yes, yes. Uh, We come back to Aang as he learns about the fourth chakra in front of an air nomad statue, which is located in the heart and is blocked by grief. Aang sees a vision of many airbenders, including monk Gyatso and other monks that he grew up knowing. He is happy to see them, but when they disappear, he feels a sense of sadness. Patik acknowledges Aang's great loss and tells him that the love is a form of energy that swirls all around them. He confirms that the air nomad's love for him has not left this world and is still inside of his heart and is reborn in the form of a new love. After thinking about Katara, Aang is able to let his grief wash away and he asks for more onion banana juice as he wipes away his tears.
1: Oh, uh, to quote a uh, very good show that is currently trending. Mm-hmm. What is grief if not love persevering? Man,
0: that line, that line, that show. I don't want to yeah. talk about WandaVision because I'll go on forever. But yeah, <laughs> so good. It's such a beautiful line.
1: It is absolutely beautiful. It's one of my favorite new lines. Yeah. The statue at the start of the scene. I think that's supposed to be Avatar Yang Chen. Really? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: It just looks like a generic airbender to me.
1: It could be a generic <laughs> airbender. I know that um, the nuns often used that hairstyle where the front part of their head is shaved to yeah. show their arrow and then the hair is grown long in the back and tied up. Mm-hmm. But because of the placement and the, especially the big statue we'll see in another scene, mm-hmm. uh, the importance placed on the size of that statue, I want to say it's Avatar Yang Yeah. But just as a reminder, this is the Eastern Air Temple one of the temples lived in by the nuns. The nuns lived in the Western Air Temple and the Eastern Air Temple. Mm. The monks lived in the Northern and the Southern Air Temples. And so while Aang visits all four temples in the series, this is the only episode not to be named after the temple he visits.
0: Interesting. This is probably because TV Guide would have messed it up again. That, that's what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Elsewhere in the temple, Guru Patik tells Aang about the fifth chakra, the sound chakra, which is located in the throat and is blocked by lies. How like symbolic is that? Blocked by lies? That just feels so like Shakespearean almost to me. Like so deep, so beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. Aang remembers when he did not tell Katara that he was the Avatar, because he did not want to be the Avatar. Patik tells the young airbender that he cannot lie about his own nature. And Ang must accept that he is the avatar. Ang inhales and opens this chakra, accepting finally that he is the avatar. Yay. Yeah. Although he's kind of accepted that many times before when he comes in, he goes, I am the avatar.
1: Yeah. But now he knows it in his heart because now it's the truth.
0: Yeah. So like, if you're not paying attention, it could be, it could seem like a, he's already done this, but like, I think there's a difference between saying something and believing something.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And I think at this point, he's now believing it. Moving to a new location again, Patik tells Ang about the sixth chakra, which is the light chakra, and is blocked by illusion. It makes me think of Yu-Gi-Oh for some reason. I don't know why, but like, <laughs> this chakra is like I'm going to call it the Yu-Gi-Oh chakra. Patik tells Ang about a lesson he already learned in the swamp that all things are one and the same, and the illusion is that everything is separate. Aang notes how even the different nations are connected, four parts of the same whole. Patik tells his student that all the elements are also one and that even metal is just a part of the earth that's been purified and refined.
1: <sighs> mm-hmm. One of the best scenes ever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just, okay, I have to have a moment. Again, yes. sound production. As he's narrating this, the camera pans down into a forest and it shows Toph inside her metal container. Mm-hmm. And there's this like faint little magical epic tinkle in the background yep. that makes like goosebumps come up all over your body. Yeah. And like, again, thank you for yes. an incredible soundtrack and incredible sound production in this show. Yes. It is a blessing. It is a gift.
0: For sure. So, yeah, we have Toph, right? We're, we're going to go see her again. She's in her little metal prison and she's kind of like feeling her way around. And we kind of see the shards of earth that are in the metal kind of start to light up. Right. And we're like getting mm-hmm. this whole like really like goosebump tingling moment. We're like, is she going to? So she ends up finally with a single punch, puts a dent in the cell.
1: And then everything changes.
0: Mm-hmm. But not just yet, because now we're going to join Katara, <laughs> who walks up to the Jasmine Dragon with Momo, looking for a cup of tea before they return to the Earth King. When she enters, and she doesn't really enter, she kind of gets in the doorway, and she sees Iroh and Zuko working in the shop, she runs away as fast as she can. Imagine, that! I want to go to this new, this new tea shop. I hear great things. Oh, my God. <laughs> runs away. We return to Aang and Guru Patik as they sit atop the temple at night. Patik explains that the seventh and final chakra is located at the crown of the head and deals with pure cosmic energy. Once he opens this chakra, Aang will be able to go in and out of the avatar state at will and also have complete control of his actions while in the state. In order to open this chakra, Aang will have to let go of all of his attachments to this world. When Aang sees visions of Katara, he refuses to let go of his love for her. Potik advises that he must learn to let go, but Aang continues to protest. Back at the Earth King's palace, Katara rushes in to warn the king that Zuko and Iroh are in the city, but notices, wait a minute, you're not the Kyoshi warriors. Uh Uh-oh. She tries to attack the imposters, because, you know, they sus. (laughs) But Tylee quickly jumps forward and blocks her chi, knocking her out. Azula says that it's time for a family reunion as Momo flies away unnoticed. Momo's actions here remind me of something that it was Brian or Michael, you all know I can't tell their, their voices apart, in one of the director's commentary where they're like, sometimes they forget about Momo. Like, they'll be in an action scene and be like, oh yeah, we have to do something with Momo. Yeah, just like take <laughs> him out real quick.
1: Yeah, just make him fly away.
0: Yeah, like that kind of reminds me of this. Back at the Eastern Air Temple, Aang finds it difficult to let go of Katara and can't bring himself to do it. When he goes into a meditative state, he finds himself in a space and connected to the universe. He approaches a giant vision of himself in the avatar state, but when he sees Katara in shackles yelling for help, he abandons his final task and rushes off to save her, severing his tie to the universe and the avatar state itself. Patik calls out to Ang and says that if he does not open this gate, he will never be able to enter the avatar state again. Again, super reminiscent of Star Wars. I think it was empire strikes back where luke is training with yoda and he's yep. like no i gotta i gotta go help and yoda's like you'll never be a jedi he's like i don't care go and then he kind of does become a jedi so you know shows yeah. what you know
1: and our favorite dave filoni commented in an interview once that mm-hmm. ang received very jedi-like training in becoming an avatar
0: yes and i'm sure that's no accident i'm sure dave oh while we're gonna like yes has to be this <laughs> Back with Master Yu and Shin Fu too. i sorry, I just wanted to say that. Oh my God. <laughs> Back with Master Yu, Shin Fu, and Toph too. Toph is finally able to bend her way out of her imprisonment. When the two knuckleheads hear the final blow, they investigate, but Master Yu thinks it's another trick. There's a giant hole in the box. How is that a trick? Shin Fu yells, and Toph confirms that it's the real deal. She then earthbends her captives into the box and metal bends it shut with her bare hands, which is so cool. It's like tissue paper in her uh-huh. hands. It's like, <laughs> it's so cool.
1: I'm the greatest earthbender in the world. Don't you two dunderheads ever forget it.
0: Toff says as she uses her earthbending to dash away into the night. It is only after the two men are stuck together that Master Hugh admits he has <laughs> to use the bathroom. I love this because <laughs> Shifu's like, I'm going to be stuck in here forever with you, aren't I? And Master uses is like, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so
0: good. And the oh, delivery no. from Master U, I I think that's Sab uh, Shimono. Again, sounding like Uncle from Jackie Chan Adventures, but still, it's just like chef's kiss. So good.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And the angle, of which is shot to from the top down. So good. It really feels like cramped and like claustrophobic.
1: Yeah, it does. Note about Toph here. What I really love about this part is... Patik and Aang just went through the light chakra. Mm. And it goes over to Toph, who is now understanding that metal bending could actually be possible because of those leftover impurities of Earth. So really I love that Aang's achievement in one area of the world is paralleling Toph's achievement in another area of the world because she's basically mastering the light chakra here where she overcomes the illusion that earth and refined metals were two different things. Yeah. I almost feel like her being blind helped her reach this conclusion because she's so in tune with the earth around her and using her seismic sense to sense things. She was better able to Understand finally that the forging process with metal would always leave natural impurities for her to find and then manipulate. So she is actually the greatest earthbender in the world. Yeah, and she is the mother of metal bending, which is incredible. And I, I basically love her to the end of time for all of these things.
0: (laughs) Me too. I think it's it's. I agree with all that hundred percent. I also think it's her personality as well. It's like, oh yeah, she was like made by the universe. To discover metal bending.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Like it is just amazing. Yeah. So she metal bends. She like I call it earth surfing, but like that's how she like when she runs off, she's just yeah. like surfing on the earth like as if it's a wave, which kind yeah. of is really visually interesting because it blurs the difference between two different elements that are supposed not opposite ends of the spectrum, but like pretty close. Which ones? Earth and water.
1: Oh yes, because of the the flowing nature yeah. of the yeah. earth. Yeah. yeah. I think that really shows her mastery of the, the element because not only can she move and manipulate rock, she can manipulate the earth yeah. like the ground. It's really cool. She can ride the ground like a wave. So that's neat. next it's... level. You don't yeah. I wanna say like Boomy is probably the only other person who could get close to that. I think
0: honestly I think Boomy might have been a better Earthbender than Toph if he wasn't so wacky all the time. (laughs) Yeah. It's always what I love about him the most. But like, I think it went to his detriment on this.
1: He's like... He's very structured in his bending because of his wackiness. He's yeah. very like he's very grounded, first of all, which yeah. is what <laughs> earth bending is all about. Also, it. it's a pun.
0: Yeah, also. But yes.
1: <laughs> I think um I think Toph being blind in learning from badger moles actually gave her a different style, sort of, to bending. Yeah. Um, which I think in production literally is a different style. She uses a different style of bending yep. than the Hungar method. But you can see it here too, because I don't think Bumi would ever to use the ground as a wave he would probably make a plank or a sheet of rock yeah. and use that to propel himself across the ground not literally like manipulating the ground under his feet you know what right.
0: i mean yeah no yeah i get i get it i do want to point this out real quick before we move on and start talking mm-hmm. about going back to the water tribe camp Toph used neutral jing to like figure out metal bending which is the last lesson that ang ever got from boomy so i thought that was mm. really cool. So. Let's go back to the Water Tribe camp, where Hakoda asks if Sokka is ready to knock on some Fire Nation heads. Sokka admits to his father that this means so much to him, and that he will make his father proud. Hakoda tells his son that he's already proud of Sokka, and that he's always known he was a great warrior. Why else would he have left him with the task of looking over the tribe when he left all those years ago? As the two are about to board one of the ships, Aang and Appa show up. Instead of joining his father, Saka rides away on Appa with Aang and looks back at the ships as they sail into the night. Hakoda looks up at the flying bison and smiles, forever proud of his son, the warrior. Aww. It's literally all Saka ever wanted is in this episode. Right literally. here. Literally, yep. So good. In the prisons of Ba Sing Se, Azula is brought to Long against her will, quote unquote, <laughs> and acts like she is in distress. Longfang reveals that he knows she is not a warrior of Kyoshi and that she is, in fact, Princess Azula of the Fire Nation. The idiot falls right into her plan, thinking that he has the upper hand and convinces another quote unquote, her to help him regain control of the city in exchange for the Avatar. I'm listening, Azula smirks. Back at the Jasmine Dragon, Iroh is shocked and happy when he receives a message from the royal palace. They are invited to serve tea to the Earth King. As Azula is escorted from Long Thing's cell, she smiles. It's all coming together now.
1: Oh, Azula is so diabolical, mm-hmm. and Iroh is so pure and wholesome, mm-hmm. and he's getting his wish mm-hmm. of serving tea to the Earth King, except he's not.
0: In, in just a quick blink-and-you'll-miss-it moment, or I, I guess idea or thing, something to wrap your head around, no one sees the Earth King, period. Long uh-huh. Feng made sure of that, and they made a really big point of that a couple episodes back. So the fact that Iro and his son are invited to serve tea to the Earth King, who, if you go to one of his fancy parties, you're never even going to see, right? Is just like the biggest the honor you can honor. get. Yeah. Yes. So I just wanted to make sure that we brought that up and reminded everyone that while we've seen a lot of Earth King Dum Dum in the past couple episodes, <laughs> not a lot of people get that privilege.
1: Exactly. Which is, again, why it's going to be so heartbreaking when it's revealed that the Earth King has no idea who Iroh is. And actually, it is all a plan yeah. of Azula's to uh, get her brother and uncle.
0: Again, people are just like, I really like Azula. And I'm just like,
1: but, but. I mean, I'm one of those people. I love, hate her so much.
0: I don't, I don't know.
1: It's literally a combination of love, hate.
0: Yeah, fair. That's fair. We'll we'll see what happens in book three, because I remember maybe three episodes in book three, so. I'm very excited to get into it. Oh
1: my gosh. I am so excited.
0: Yes. Speaking of being excited, that was the end of the episode, which means that I need to know, as well as our wonderful, patient, adoring fans, who was your MVP of the episode?
1: Oh, my MVP has to go to Patik. Yeah? Yeah. Why? Because Patik is not only bringing us up to speed as (laughs) viewers on what's important to know going forward and what has made an impact in Aang's past. But he's also giving Aang invaluable lessons in what it means to be a balanced person, what it means to be an avatar, and I think without that, along with the lessons that Boomy gave Aang, I don't think Aang would be successful going into the last chapter of our our show.
0: Okay, yeah, I agree with that.
1: Also, yeah. Also, patika has been waiting there at the Air Temple for like what a hundred years. <laughs>
0: Even for a very long time, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he's been waiting there alone all this time. So the guy needs to win an award for that.
0: Can you imagine the air nomads go to Patik and they're just like, we lost the avatar. And he's just like, I know what I have to do. And he just sits down
1: and he just waits there
0: <laughs> for a hundred years.
1: There's a Doctor Who reference in there. Yeah. <laughs> the last Centaurian, <laughs> the man who waited. Oh, man.
0: <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, for me, I think my MVP. And this is, I think, going to be a podcast first choice. For me, it's Aang.
1: Yeah? Oh, yeah, I, I think deserves it.
0: Yeah, I think because um he prioritized, and, and some people might not, might not like this, but I think it's because he prioritized the feeling of love that he has with Katara, which by the way, this is the first episode that he actually admitted to mm-hmm. loving her and was like, realized the importance of her in his life and that he would not be the same avatar without her. Mm -hmm. And just went off to save her, which might be a little strong head, hot headed, might be a little emotion filled, but he kept true to his character. He didn't just break it to be like, okay, I want the most power ever, which is like Zhao would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, for sure. Fong would absolutely do that. Fong almost killed Katara trying to get the Avatar state out. So I think it goes to show you that like Aang is very deserving of this power and this honor that he has Mm -hmm. by defying his duties in this episode.
1: Yeah. He's very pure of heart for that reason. Um definitely adds a complication to our last arc this story because he can't use the Avatar state now, but it it does show where his priorities are and what he values as an individual. And I mean like when it comes down to it, the Avatar being a human is necessary for the success of the Avatar because The Avatar has godlike powers, but they live a human life and they understand what it means to be human and how valuable life is and that it should be protected at all costs. And so I think the fact that he's prioritizing his love is weirdly in line with what it means to be an Avatar because it's like part of the human experience. On the note of the Avatar Studios, Mm -hmm. I am very interested to see if they're going to be revisiting any of the past Avatars because- I hope so. Okay, first of all, tons of great storytelling potential. Yeah, uh, but also on topic with this, there are avatars in the past who have had relationships, who have been romantically involved with with women. Specifically, Avatar Roku got married, and Avatar Kurok had a love interest who got sadly uh, killed by Ko, which mm-hmm. we will learn more about in one of the one of the Avatar games that we're going to be covering. But their relationships with these women show that they are able to experience love without attachment. But I think they were able to do that because they had the time to learn that yeah. and they had the time to incorporate that into their training as an avatar as they were learning the other elements, too. And Aang, meanwhile, is um, a bit tighter of a deadline here. Mm-hmm. And so he's just going with what he feels is right in the moment.
0: Yeah. Also, he doesn't really use the avatar state all that much anyways. It's like twice a season. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's so. it's like a it's like his backup plan. It's like his ace yeah. in his in his pocket. It's like he <laughs> has it for those last ditch efforts when yeah. his innate powers have to take over and save the day. So it's like you know he's been squeaking by so far. So what's yeah. to say he he won't continue?
0: Also, he's getting rid of his greatest weakness right there, as told to him by the uh, the former avatar Roku, where if he never goes to the avatar state, they can never kill him in the avatar state. Therefore, oh, the true. avatar state lives on. Oh, so true. really, there if you think go. about it, he's doing the best thing possible. Really.
1: <laughs> as far as we know. In as the far moment, as we know. Until, you know, uh, crap hits the fan soon.
0: Yeah. Anyways, moving on. Moral of the episode.
1: Hmm. I am still forming my moral of the episode. So what's yours?
0: Uh, mine is uh, thinking about all of what we learned with Guru Patik and Balance more specifically. Mm-hmm where I think the moral of this episode is balance can only be obtained by understanding the imbalance and what's causing it.
1: Oh, that's a good one. That's basically what I was trying to get to in my brain, but that was that was said so well. So I will Thank jump you. on that. Um, Yes, I think so too, because as was presented in this episode, there's definitely a concept of like a duality with life. And I think you have to understand the whole picture. You have to understand both sides in order to truly find peace or balance. Mm. Yeah.
0: All right. And with all of that being said, that's our episode. That's it. That is part one of the finale of book two done. Oh boy. Oh boy.
1: All oh boy. All right.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to go ahead. And again, I just take moments at the beginning and end and and thank everyone for all the love and support that you've sent, not only through Patreon, not only through the five star reviews, but literally just by clicking that play button and listening, let's say more than 60 seconds. And and being like, you know what, I want to invest my time in these two knuckleheads talking about <laughs> talking about Avatar the Last Airbender and deep diving into the philosophies, the cultural impacts. Literally everything from the series that debuted in, as a reminder, 2005. So thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, if you are caught up on all the episodes, streams have resumed over on my channel. So you want to hang out with me over at Twitter TV Booster Greg. You can do so on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So come in say hi. We could talk about Avatar. We can talk about the game we're playing. We can talk about whatever. I'm not super picky. Just as long mm-hmm. as we're talking and hanging out.
1: Yeah. And I'm Acorn. You can find me online at Acorn Bandit and also on joysons.com where I create enamel pins. That is J O I S A N S dot com. And if you want to see all my stuff, add a slash pages slash Acorn to that and you'll see all my links.
0: Yeah. And remember, you can still get the book to Avatar the Podcast pin if you like over at joysans.com. Remember, don't forget yeah. the S. I'm still or keeping
1: that. On Etsy, joysans studio
0: right there um they're still available it is tough for those of you who haven't seen yet
1: designed by greg himself designed by it's me. fabulous
0: it's so it's so cool it has a little wanted poster as the card backer
1: it's so cool that's actually one of my favorite parts <laughs>
0: it's it look did come out really well i'm very happy with it and if you heard me say patreon a couple of times you're like wait what patreon what's that uh, if you go to the geekgeneration.com and look at after the podcast you can find a link or patreon there but it is patreon.com slash avatar the podcast if you wanted to uh give a, a couple coin to some weary travelers you know that'd be <laughs> appreciated
1: yeah and one of the things we're gonna do in our recap episode is talk about who is winning the hundred year war yes. so as a patron you get to choose one of your tribes one of your nations and at the end of book two we're going to see who is in the lead so
0: mm-hmm. so you won't want to miss that one that'll be in just a couple weeks or so Or less. Who knows? Stay tuned. Coming up next time,
1: the double double
0: cross and the book two finale. All this and more next time on Avatar Avatar, the the podcast. podcast.
1: Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.